This, this, this is you. K U T. K U T. Austin. Stop. I used to get mad at my Welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station, talking as always with Dr. Ed Berger, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Hello, Ed. Hello, Jennifer. Good to see you again. Well, thank you. It's always good to see you, and it's always fun to be on the Southwestern University campus. Of course. We are taping in the sound studio inside the library. Which you today. like, which you like. I do. It's We've got the mood lighting, the little lamps going on, and, you know, people <laughs> it's almost candlelit, and they kind of look in and go, what's going, is that like a lunch in there? What's going and on? And just because I want to make sure it's clear, the fluorescent lights sometimes will create a little bit of a buzz, yeah. and we don't want that. So there's right. incandescent lights. More audio friendly. More audio friendly. <laughs> so, you know, flipping off the... Flipping off. Well, let me finish my sentence. <laughs> my goodness. What, what, what is this episode going to be about? I don't know, but I don't like Turning it. Turning off the light so oh. that it doesn't make noise is, you know, a kind of, of correction. It's it's making things into a situation that's better from a situation that wasn't great. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking not too long ago about corrections in relation to school And what I'm thinking about is watching students and their response to grades. And we've talked about grades before and the relative value or lack of value there. But what I wanted to talk about today is how all of that information is presented. In other words, are there effective ways, less effective, more effective ways to convey to students that, you know, they didn't answer something correctly. They did not get a good grade on a test. They maybe didn't get into a class or a program or something. It just seems to me that sometimes people get so wrapped up in a mistake that they've made that they they lose the whole educational experience in front of them. Right. And I wanted to talk about, you know, we've talked about effective failure. We've right. talked about making meaning. Is there effective correction or effective assessment? Well, in my mind, effective failure is exactly what you're describing, which is that when something doesn't go according to plan, or the way you wanted to, or as rosy as you wanted to come out, that you learn something from that and you do correct. I mean, effective failure means correcting something. It doesn't mean just getting it wrong and moving on. Tenacity is important, but it, it, it's amplified dramatically by learning something from it. And that's hard to do. I mean, you know, it's easy to talk about effective failure. It's easy to talk about, you know, making corrections. And in the throes of it, I'm a pre-med student and I just you know, failed, let's say, organic chemistry. As a young person, as a, you know, like a 19-year-old, I'm thinking my entire future might be put on its head. Well, it might be, and that's an opportunity to kind of think about. Uh, or it might be that I just need to rethink how I think about organic chemistry and, and try it again. And, and I think that it's scary because we don't know the future. We're, we're building a future self where we don't know how, how it's supposed to come out. And so we don't know how we're going to come out at the other end. And that is a little bit scary. And that's, of course, the scary part of change. But the, the bottom line is that we've got to be open to all possibilities. And when something unforeseen 
or unpleasant occurs, that we don't lose any of our enthusiasm, but instead say, okay, well, let me think about what happens under this way or under this way or under that way, and then see what happens. It sounds like one of the things that you're describing is a way to to point out an error or to, to make a correction in an effective way is to keep it very much in the present and and try to keep the student from making it all about their entire future, their entire educational future, their entire career. You know, nothing is going to hinge on just one test or one paper or one class and to sort of help focus on what what has happened and how can I how can I get a better grip on the knowledge that that I didn't do so well on rather than, oh, my God, you know, I got an F on organic chemistry and my I'm not going to be a doctor. My whole life right, is ruined. My whole life is ruined. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I think that looking at things at a micro level and not always looking at the macro level is helpful and and looking for opportunities for, for how I can grow today I think is is really important. And you know, by the way, uh, sometimes the the thing leads you to do something else. I, you know, I've – I've probably had about maybe 30 or so undergraduate research students who have uh, worked with me on new mathematics, you know, proving new theorems over the summer or during the academic years. And every once in a while, someone will approach me after that experience and and usually very uh, impishly and and a little embarrassed. And they'd say, you know, well, Dr. Berger, uh, I hate to say this, but I don't think that math is for me after all. I'm, you know, here I'm a major in math and I was thinking about going to graduate school and doing research in math. But after this experience you know, with you, um, I'm thinking that, that this might not be my thing. And they're saying it in an apologetic way where, in fact, my response is great. Here at a very early age in your career, we're making this discovery great. So let's think about what are the alternatives? Are there other venues within the world of science and math? Or do we want to leave science and math completely? And all of these things are discoveries. So we have to embrace them rather than saying, oh, I failed or, oh, I'm not going to become a PhD in mathematics like I always thought I would. You know, let that go and say, great, because I changed. Maybe that's the way to think about it is, wow, I'm a different person because of that experience. That's cool. Well, and that really means sort of helping people understand what's the goal. So I think one reason why we take some of these assessments so hard is that we we have a certain goal in mind and we also have our sort of self-worth wrapped up in it. So, you know, if I get handed back a test and I got a 45 on it, I'm not going to feel great about myself. Right. But that's not the goal of the teacher, presumably, who has right. handed back the test. The on teacher which might I, still love you. They might right. think you're amazing, right. but that's what you earned on the exam. And I think in the moment that can be hard hard to remember, but maybe a way to sort of help with all of this is to remember that the point is not to embarrass, upset, humiliate students. The point is to point out, opportunities. okay, this, opportunities. Stuff, this stuff you've got down, this stuff not. Right. How do we bridge that gap? And it comes back to – this is a special case of something that we spoke, we spoke about a couple of seasons ago, which is that when we experience life, we begin with an emotional response and we always have an emotional response. And that's natural and we shouldn't try to divorce ourselves from that. But the question is what do you do after that? And the truth is that from there we have to move ideally, in my opinion, to a thoughtful response. And getting uh, an exam back where you got a 45% out of 100 
uh, is a great example of getting rejected if you submit a book or an article to appear or you're trying to get into a program and you're told no or you're applying for funding or a grant or a scholarship and you're told no. These are all examples where the knee-jerk emotional response is very negative and you take it personally. And you have to just give the space in your own psyche to, to embrace that. But then the question is, okay, what's the thoughtful response? How do I learn from this? If there are reviews that are given, what do I learn from the reviews? If there are comments on the exam or on the paper, let me read those comments. Let me meet with that instructor and, and ask, you know, what, what went wrong here and how can I improve? And then start to look for opportunities to improve. If you're improving, then you're changing. And you know that I've said it a thousand times that the point of education is to change lives. And so there's an opportunity to change and to become better. But you've got to move off of that emotional reaction, which is natural, to a thoughtful reaction, which is more meaningful. So I had a somewhat emotional reaction to hearing the puzzler last week. <laughs> I thought... What was the emotion? Um, hmm. I, I wasn't upset, oh, but yeah. I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to get the right answer. Well, we don't care about that. Well, it's the I'm, thinking I know. I just too. slip into that bad habit sometimes. Know, but let's hear, let's be reminded about the puzzler. Sure. So uh, for uh, our listeners who might not remember, uh, we are assuming that the planet Earth is populated by 7 billion human beings. And the question is, if you were to uh, take the product or multiply the number of digits on every single human being's left hand, and multiply them all together, uh, the question is, can you estimate that number? And if you can't, can you at least give a sense of how large that number may be? And I don't know why that emoted a negative response. I think well, it's kind of a fun question. It, so the, my, my first sort of ha-ha answer is it would be a very big number. Uh, okay, good. Um, and I think, so originally I had written down the exclamation mark because my first thought was factorials, and then you explained why it's not that. Is this a situation where... So, you know, like if you say, you know, two squared is four, multiply right. by multiple. Is this going to be something to the something power? Mm. Mm. Is this going to be five digits to the seven billionth power? Wow. That, which, by the way, would be a very large number. That would be an incredibly large very, number. If I had that many dollars, I'd be a very <laughs> you wouldn't be happy, sitting, wealthy person. You would well, not be sitting. I don't know if I'd be happier, <laughs> but I certainly would be wealthier. Right. Yes. Um, is, mm. it, is it something involving powers or do i have it reversed should it be seven billion no not seven billion to the fifth power well think of the example that you that you thought of last week which was in the room it right. was five times five, five then you is, said which is five squared right. and then you said if, if a third person were, were in the room it would be 125 right which, which is, five is five cubed cube. so you, you so five is it five to the seven billionth power no no <laughs> but i like my guess it, and it's a great guess and and it's correct if this were like a math question but this is a real question. Uh, let me tell you the answer, and then I want you to tell me why the answer is. Okay. okay? The answer is zero. The answer is zero. So restate the... If you were to multiply the number of digits on every single human being's left hand, uh -huh. what number would you estimate you would get? And, and you're saying zero. Yeah. So what am I missing something then? You've got 7 billion people on this planet. Uh-huh. You were assuming that everyone had the same number of digits on their left hand. I am. 
But there are people out there that, in fact, don't have any digits. And there's going to be a zero in there somewhere. Once you have a zero, once you have a game zero, over. I multiply. That's right. In fact, I was very careful because you were saying adding them up. And I said, no, 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 no. If you were to multiply. Yeah. And once you got someone with zero digits, then the then whole, the whole answer is, is zero. That's right. So there you go. That is, I love that. I thought you'd get a kick well, out of that. And that's great. We had an episode last season about making assumptions. That's and right. And I, I right. ran off with an assumption that I was going to, that everybody had, you know, at least a digit on their left hand that would roughly keep it. Well, if if everyone had five digits, then your uh-huh. answer was absolutely correct, right? It's five to the right. seven billion power. That's absolutely correct. But we once you that, find once yep. you find a human being without, uh, you know, my, my father, for example, was actually missing two digits on his left hand. It turns out through the war, so he only had three. So that already changed it. But the order of magnitude wouldn't really change. But once you get someone with zero. Then Game over. All bets are then, off. Yep, all bets are off. Anything times zero is always zero, even if Correct. it's... Correct. Even a big billions number. Billions and billions and billions. Billions and billions. That's a great one. That's a very thought-provoking one. It's kind of fun. I, oh, I think it's kind of fun. That's a wonderful one. Yeah. Well, thank you. You said you got that from a listener, I think, correct? I did. Yeah, that, was, that came from wonderful. a listener, which I thought was clever, because when I... When I first read it, by the way, I went through the exact process that you yeah. did. I said, oh, okay, it's easy. It's five to the... But then when I started thinking about it, I'm like, well, actually... That can't be true. And then when I when I then I said zero, and then that turns out that's what the listener had in mind. So I want to return Ed, to our conversation as we just wrap up here about yeah. effective correcting, mm-hmm. and we've been talking about correcting students and sort of their response and how they can integrate that and learn from it. I want to flip it a little bit, and what I'm thinking about are things like teacher evaluations, mm. where. Students are doing the writing or evaluating about teachers. And I know sometimes it's tempting for students to just kind of let loose and not be their best selves in <laughs> what they write in those evaluations. That's right. Um, because most of them are anonymous, so students are, are right. can sort of feel free to, to, to let, be, let it go. Right. Get even. What is an effective way, if a student has been in a class, and, you know, very rarely is a class all wonderful or all terrible. You know, usually there are parts of both. Right. Um, What is the most effective way for a student to really convey constructively an idea that they think their professor could integrate and use to improve? I think that the more articulate a student is on on those student course surveys, the more serious I think they'll be taken. If someone just says too much work or, you know, Berger was so mean, I can't stand him. That's not particularly helpful. And even if that's followed by an actual interesting idea, I might dismiss it a little bit because I see the context. But if someone says, look, I really worked hard in this class and I think I'm going to come out, you know, the way I'm going to come out and, uh, and, and here's where I struggled. And I think I would have struggled less if it were structured this way or if this would have happened or if that wouldn't have happened uh, then it, I think you begin to provoke some thought uh, in the faculty's mind. But I will say that, you know, as a as a community within the realm of the academy across the world, I think that educators actually are, are kind of uh, not always so good at this effective correcting because the truth is, you know, we use the same notes that we've developed and they're all, you know, yellowing now. The paper's, you know, getting begin to disintegrate and we're still using the same things because that's how we do it. That's how we learned it. That's how we're comfortable. And the idea that we might change ourselves, even though we are supposed to be agents of change is challenging for us. So I think that the, the, the more we can make that um, doable, the, the better it is across the board. And, and can I just make one last comment, which has nothing to do with Absolutely. education, but when you're talking about this effective correcting, 
it, it shouldn't just be relegated to our intellectual lives of formal education, but even thinking about society, thinking about politics, whether it's local or national, or thinking about kind of how we live our lives. How open are we as individuals to effective correcting? And whether that's who we elect, whether that's um, how we behave, whether that's, um, you know, kind of how we live our, our local lives, what are we doing to see how we can learn from what we've experienced, correct it, and see if we can do even better the next time around? I think that that thing, which is to me effective failure, but I liked how you put it effective correcting, uh, is something we should be striving for in every walk of our lives. Dr. Ed Berger, you always help us strive to be effective in all areas of our lives. Dr. Ed Berger is president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. You can find out more at southwestern.edu. And you can keep your brain busy by keeping up with the news and other episodes of Higher Ed at KUT.org. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News. KUT News.